This is Duke University. Business School, which is right down the road here at Stanford. Um, and of course, when I did, um, I got to know many of the personalities in the region, and Bill Draper is one that casts, who casts a long shadow over this valley, um, uh, one that uh, is, is widely revered. Bill, as many of you know, has been a pioneer uh, in venture capital here, uh, but of course his resume is much longer and deeper than that. Uh, if you've had a chance to read his bio, you'll know that his experience uh, cuts across sectors, so it's not just business, but also public service. Um, having this run the uh, Import-Export Bank for the U.S., Great. and also having run the UNDP. Um, so he's got international development experience in addition uh, to his experience as a venture capitalist. Um, and you'll see his resume, so he's got domestic, international, um, small-scale startup, entrepreneurial, venture capital, also large-scale organizations. Um, he's pretty much done it all, uh, and I think we can learn a tremendous amount from him. He's been on, again, the for-profit side of entrepreneurship and the social side. So in addition to um, Sutter Hill earlier on, now Draper Richards and Draper International, he's got the Draper Richards Foundation, which is one of the premier foundations supporting social entrepreneurs. Um, and so he's, he's been able to see the growth of social entrepreneurship as a movement and seeding that and helping, helping to support it. Um, he also has a new book uh, coming out, and I would be remiss if I did not plug the book for him, uh, because we certainly can't expect him to plug his own book. Um, and it's, if I got this right, The Startup Game, um, I think it's due out in January. The subtitle is, uh, 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 let's see, Inside the Partnership Between Venture Capitalists and Entrepreneurs. Uh, I understand you can pre-order it on Amazon now. So again, get your orders in early. You want to get that first print um, while it's there. But uh, but I so when I was here, I had had the chance to hear hear Bill speak a few times when I was at Stanford, and I'm certainly thrilled to, that he's agreed to come and speak to us at lunch today. So I, without any further ado, Bill, uh, it's all yours. Thanks. Thanks very much, Greg. Well, this is a dirty trick. First of all, they, they put me on after everybody's had a big lunch. <laughs> then they give them all couches to sleep in. <laughs> and I've got to follow a speaker like our former one, who was fantastic. Guys like that uh, are the people we're looking for in Draper Richards. I'm sorry he didn't come to us first. Went to school. Uh, but they're not our competitors. They usually come after us. Um, well, gosh, uh, it's really great to be here with the Center of Advancement for Social uh, Entrepreneurs. A great name, Case. You know, it sounds like a total business school. And it's uh, Duke. University is one of my favorites, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right, that's right. Great, I'd be delighted to get down there. Well, what a great morning we had! I mean, that was really unusual for me to hear 
uh, the talent speak out and have plenty of time to, to really answer questions and get into uh, a lot of depth. I, I loved it. And uh, congratulations for putting it all together. Well, this is an exciting time for social entrepreneurship. It's, uh, it's a time when big, fat, rich men and young, skinny billionaires are, are uh, suggesting and signing pledges to give all their money away in their lifetime. And, uh, and there are lots of social entrepreneurs coming up ready to take advantage of that. And you're uh, giving a better platform to keep them uh, growing and, and uh, gaining speed. It's, uh, it's really exciting to watch. There was the term social entrepreneurship wasn't around uh, when I was starting here in Silicon Valley. But actually, the term Silicon Valley wasn't around. That was a long time ago. So uh, he read a long list of things that I've been doing. But, but <laughs> you know, when you get to be my age, you will find you have done a lot of things, too. It just has a way of working with your age. Um, we. Um, a little like the giving pledges of these uh, billionaires, uh, I subscribe to Andrew Carnegie's first third of your life. You try to get all the education you can. Uh, the next third of your life, you try to get as much money together as you can. And the third part of your life, uh, you have to figure out a good way to get, get rid of it all, give it all away. And uh, that's Carnegie. He was a wise man, built more libraries than anybody else. Although Room to Read is now one of, one of our fellows is, is trying to rival that building libraries. They're up to 10,000 now around the world. And uh, they're smaller. They're just rooms of books. But um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a great example. A man like Andrew Carnegie, who was a businessman, went into into uh, pro uh, nonprofit activity and uh, did it very, very well. So in that light, I kind of uh, said, well, I don't have that many resources, but what can, what can Robin Richards and I do? We had uh, started the first venture capital firm, in, uh, US venture capital firm in India. Now there are probably 35 of them. and. Uh, and we just hit the timing right. And we, we had a few limited partners, most of them, uh, well, old friends of mine, partners from Sutter Hill, and one, uh, one uh, General Atlantic, one institution. And they all made 16 times their money in six years by investing with us. But we thought, well, we ought to, we've been lucky because we were. It was a lot of luck, just timing. and. We picked a couple of good Indians to be our partners in India. We went there four or five times a year for five years. And everything, everything clicked. Now, uh, by the way, you talk to a venture capitalist today, and unless they back Facebook or uh, one of the other hot deals, they are sort of saying, well, it's a little lean because the returns are not what they, what they used to be in the good old days. So my. I came up with the thought that we, um, we ought to transfer this technique of um, 
figuring out how, what companies to start up in venture cap that we use in venture capital because we were in the seed phase always uh, and transfer that to the nonprofit sector. So let's, and we had limited resources. So let's just start looking for hotshot people with vision, energy, commitment, passion, and, uh, and good brain power. And you saw one of our best examples, Jordan, this morning. Uh, I'm so proud every time I listen to him talk, he just uh, almost makes my skin crawl. It's just exciting to uh, see a guy like that perform and think that, that we, uh, we helped him at the very earliest stage. That's, that's really rewarding, much more than, the, the, um, than anything else. So there, you're going to hear another one to, uh, after lunch. Uh, Kiva has been tremendously successful, and lots of people know about it. You'll hear much more, so I'm not going to say, say any more about that. But um, it's that kind of person. And we saw Rice. My god, that guy. I mean, to follow him is tough. He, uh, he uh, exemplifies the kind of excitement and charisma that, that uh, the best leaders convey. And uh, so you've seen two examples of, um, at least two, uh, of wonderful um, people that we're looking for to get going to, because we want to have a good record. Well, after getting this idea, uh, Robin and I realized we still had to keep our for-profit program going. So we brought in um, Jenny Schilling-Stein, and she is uh, a real barn burner. And she has set the bar very high on getting, getting uh, good quality into the house. And in view of that, we don't do a lot every year. We do about, th well, we used to do about three, then it was four, then five a year. But we're, um, we're very excited with the record. We've done about 30 of these. We, we, and what we do is we give them 100000 a year for three years, which is significant money to, when it's the first money. money. It, it really has to be the first um, you know, money of that size for them. Otherwise, we won't do it. But it isn't all startups. We do some that are in the second year, for example. But we have had great success, much better. I, I keep telling Jenny, listen, let's use you in the for-profit, and we'll do a lot better. <laughs> I mean, my god, we, if we could have the record. She's only lost three, and I say she because it's a whole team. Bree is here, and Christy is here. They've joined. And uh, a wonderful woman named Anne-Marie Burgoyne, who many of you know, um, uh, joined up. And they all have this uh, idea that quality is the most important thing. We've lost three out of 30. And uh, we're, we're uh, even proud of those because they at least tried in a, in a tough area. And uh, these entrepreneurs are like 
for-profit entrepreneurs. They're just the same quality people. They're almost got to be a little better because it's tougher. And you say, well, there's no bottom line, and therefore they just, if they can raise money, they're doing the job. But there is a bottom line, and it can be how many kids you're serving, how many libraries you built, how, many, how much uh, aid you, uh, you raised, how much, uh, 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 how many patients you serve, how many old, how many meals you give to old people, or whatever. Uh, how many, we, we help uh, our very first was something called um, Upwardly Global. And a woman had the idea of, uh, gosh, we got all these wonderful immigrants in, in the Bay Area, and they're driving taxis and buses, and they've got a PhD or an MD or something. They're just not in the right quality, in the right uh, territory. And uh, let's get some volunteers from the business community to, to bring them into the right place, or the hospitals, or wherever they really should be, and get them to dress up, give them coaching, improve their resume, do all those things that you like to see uh, a, a good candidate come in with. And um, anyway, she, it, it worked beautifully. Um, we have uh, uh, another one that is rather recent, who's a Duke uh, graduate who I mean, he has kind of a sloppy resume, but we overlooked it. <laughs> he got an a a Angie Biddle Duke uh, uh, award or scholarship or whatever. Uh, he also got a White House fellowship. And I served on the committee that chooses White House fellows for the region for Northern California. And God, we'd send these brilliant people back with a recommendation to get them. And we'd find they'd be dropped off, dropped off. And, and so it's a very, Colin Powell is one example of a White House fellow, but it's really a tough screen to get through. Uh, he's got that. Uh, but, you know, he also happens to hold a Rhodes Scholarship. And uh, he's got, uh, what else does he have? He, he's a Navy SEAL and a Truman Scholar, and what the, you know, I don't want to go through the whole resume, it'd take too long, and he's not my age. He is about 32 years old. Um, but he had this idea to help uh, soldiers and Navy come back, veterans come back, with something exciting to do. He calls it the Mission Continues, and he's got volunteers in all parts of the country now to take wounded veterans, they're either wounded mentally or physically, wounded veterans back into the fold uh, by saying the mission continues. It's not we're giving you something. You can continue to give and feel, you know, kind of involved by setting them up with nonprofits in all parts of the, wherever they're locality is, and I think uh, does that for, I don't know, something like uh, several, uh, maybe a month, a year and a half or something that we're, uh, and it's a competitive thing and they feel really wanted. Uh, and he's done, I don't know, 50 of these and now he's gonna probably do 100 uh, this year. Great guy, Eric uh, Greitens. And uh, uh, John Woods, 
knocked the ball. We, we gave him his first $100,000, and now he wrote a book called Leaving Microsoft to Change the World. That guy is the uh, most eligible bachelor in San Francisco. But ladies, the problem is he's never in San Francisco. He's always raising money or he's doing things out in the, he started in Nepal, hiking in Nepal. He was up on the top of a mountain and he, re he said, hey, where's the school? No, well, all these kids playing around at school time. They, they were, he was told, well, if they went to school, the next school is all the way down the mountain, up the next mountain, and they wouldn't ever get home for dinner. And uh, so he said, I'm going to leave Microsoft, and I'm going to devote my life to, to helping these kids build, helping these villages build schools. Well, he's gone so far, he's knocked the ball out of the park. He, he uh, you know, we gave him his first $100,000. This is, uh, we'll call it uh, 10 years ago. He is now on a $30 million a year budget. And he's, and he's climbing from there. He, he, he told a group, you know, we have an exit at the end of three years because we turn, terminate all our help. And we give them a lot of help, and I wanted to get into that, the coaching and much more important than that money. The, we spend a good bit of time and effort um, and money on, on trying to bring coaches in from Stanford Business School on, on HR or, or uh, so, somebody in on uh, fundraising into a seminar group that we, we get the whole group of them uh, and they're expanding uh, every year. And they stay for three days and they really get a lot of, and then two, every two, three weeks, we have a, a webinar, uh, you know, where they all hook in and get another expert, and they back and forth teach each other a lot of, and a lot of this is coaching each other. I mean, it's like in a college, you, you learn probably more from students than professors, you never know. Um, and so uh, it's an exciting thing to watch these people who are extraordinary devote their lives to some really great cause and, uh, Somehow, as I say, I mean, it doesn't bring tears to my eyes. I'm too old for that. But, but it does uh, make me pretty, pretty comfortable with, with having uh, started this up. And in fact, now we're going to try to step out because our funding is limited. We're going to bring in some other partners so that we can do more and more of these because we've tested this now for um, you know, a decade, and, and uh, it's really so, so good. It works so well, and we've had such great success that uh, we're comfortable in talking to, I mean, uh, uh, you know, you, you feel a little shy about going to a good friend who might have a lot of money, but you say, now, how about back and get, coming into this event? I feel very proud and very easy in talking to friends and, and not enemies, but acquaintances uh, about, you know, helping because uh, it really is a, a wonderful way to, to, to put your money to work. Um, my UN experience, I guess, is what got me into this in the beginning. And um, I, I never realized uh, how how much you know, grinding poverty and 
horrific uh, problems the, the developing world had until I got out there. I got to 101 developing countries. I went to, uh, I met with probably 50 or 60 heads of state. Uh, but the thing that's, you know, there were lots of good projects and uh, we had about 8,000 of them going on at any one time. And they were, uh, uh, you know, they were, they were really um, um, good projects, solid projects. And, uh, and I heard what was said this morning and I disagree on uh, one, uh, one side of that and that is there is, there, there are just so many things to do and it's easy to sort of look at one project and say that isn't really working well, but I'll do it my way and I'll, they're just, everybody is trying to push this big, you know, you remember the old medicine balls that were so big and you have a, it's like a bunch of people trying to push the medicine ball, but the poverty and the lack of organization and everything is all pushing against you. And you, it's just a matter of, of uh, trial and error sometimes, but uh, usually it's just keep pushing. And, um, and that's what all of you are here to do, and, and it's so great that you turned out. It's, uh, it's one, of those, um, one of those inspirational moments, too, to see us all together. We're all uh, energetic and young and bright. And, I mean, you are all young and bright. And, uh, and you're uh, very, uh, very committed to doing something more than just um, taking care of your family and getting back, uh, you know, getting, getting, leading an, a normal uh, life built around you. I think um, I'll close there because uh, I think you'd probably like to have some interaction and, and questions and uh, I don't want to go on too long. But I do want to say one thing about the private sector. Almost all of our most successful entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, have had some private sector experience. And I would strongly recommend that if you're advising a young person to do this uh, uh, and go in, if he, he or she says that they want to um, get into social entrepreneurship, I would make sure they have some private sector experience. It gives them a balance. It tells them about the bottom line. And so that when they get in, they'll, they'll recognize that uh, they've got to meet certain goals. They'll set up a business plan. They'll just be more successful, I think. And, and almost all of ours have, um, have had, the, the most successful, have had some kind of private sector experience. And I want to say one other thing about the private sector. and. That is that there is a very good uh, analogy. <laughs> They're firing at me already. Uh, let's see, uh, no oranges or anything coming at me. So um, the other thing about the private sector is that I think it's not all bad. For, for example, Jordan talked a lot about his revenue and coming in, so it's a lot of times people say, oh, you're just, 
you're gumming yourself up with private sector and we'll look at you differently if we, you become a private sector. Actually, when you look at the private sector and what it can do for humanity, just look at Bill Gates. I mean, everybody wants to know Bill Gates and everybody wants to get some of that money that was made in the private sector. And I happened to, uh, to drop a name. I had dinner last night with President Obama and over here in Palo Alto. I actually, it was set up to be in San Francisco, but I had to give a talk with another group uh, last, about 4.15, I was scheduled to go on. And the thing was going to be in San Francisco at 5.30. And I didn't know how to do that. So he changed it, and he, did, and he came out to Palo Alto. And uh, we met in a house there on Addison. And uh, well, what I wanted to say was what I said to him, which is, you know, don't divide the business world into small business, which you promote so well, and big business. It's all one piece. And, you want small companies, small entrepreneurs, they all want to get big and let them get big and they'll pay more taxes and they'll be more uh, productive and they'll help your economy and hire more people. He said, I get it. Anyway, he was great last night and, uh, and you are great and thanks for listening. So why don't you ask some questions? Okay. Okay, the last question. Yes, the last one. So um, given your experience at the UNDP, are there ways that large bureaucratic organizations such as the UN could work better with social entrepreneurs? Um, because we see social entrepreneurs, whether it's John Wood or yeah. any others, uh, working, working around the world, Jordan or, yeah. or Paul Rice, uh, doing things that certainly yeah. overlap with the UNDP. <clears throat> uh, how can large organizations like that work better with social entrepreneurs to achieve better impact? Right. Good question. Good question. Um, my, um, my idea dovetails pretty well with most of the people at UNDP. UNDP is the largest uh, grant aid organization in the world. Actually, technically, I was the second-ranking person in the UN. Now they have a deputy secretary general, but at that time they didn't. And, and because I had to co coordinate the other aid programs. But there are um, organizations like UNICEF and, and so on, World Health. They are doing things um, very often through there weren't, we didn't call them social entrepreneurs at that time, but, but there were NGOs of all stripes. And, uh, and the uh, UN is cumbersome, it's uh, erratic, it has uh, often weak leadership at the top. It's terribly misunderstood by Washington. It's, a, it's an association of nations. It's a little like a chamber of commerce, and for Bechtel, to, to not deal with the Chamber of Commerce of San Francisco would be absurd, or not, I don't mean deal, not really lead in a big way. And 
so it can be improved dramatically. But the, the uh, NGOs of all stripes are doing their thing and, and very often my idea is the best way is to fund them. And for example, I didn't, it was the guy before me uh, that ran UNDP put six million dollars in, uh, gave six million dollars to um, Muhammad Yunus before anybody heard of the Grameen Bank. And that is, and that was big, big money uh, in little Bangladesh for a man who was just trying to get something going. And I think um, that is probably the best way um, to fund good NGOs in the right territories. And the world is big, and it's hard to reach everybody. And then there are some projects that nobody wants to do. And, um, and, they're, and they're not, they really aren't good NGOs, and there you go in. So, something was mentioned about water. Well, we built, uh, we, we contracted, when I was there, contracted with an Indian company to make a, a water pump that women could dismantle the whole thing. And the water pump uh, was for villages, now they're tens of thousands of these in Africa, and they cost $100 or something. I mean, they're very well-built and very inexpensive. There, there are some marvelous impacts that, uh, that I saw with my own eyes. I, I only ran the organization for seven years, but that's a pretty long time to get a feel of. And I was a relatively conservative Republican, actually. I worked in the Reagan administration, so they were a little nervous when I, came, when I arrived. But uh, it, uh, it turned out very well, because I got a good education, and uh, I, I pushed the private sector. I pushed proper uh, um, calibration and, uh, and management. So those are, that's a, kind of a long answer. But the, but the point is, we, we at the UN are sensitive to the fact that very often things are done better without the bureaucracy, and and some people are more sensitive to that than others. I was very sensitive to it, and and I think uh, I think it worked out very well, and and we're very proud of the record. Of, I mean, I wouldn't say every one of those eight thousand projects was good, but I'd say two thirds of them were, and that's a pretty good record when you're the only one out there in Burkina Faso. You know, most people have never heard of the country. Yeah. Rediff, have you ever heard of Rediff? Yeah. Um, kind of reflecting on your own experience, you're, you're now going to aggregate some capital for the $100,000 a year, $300,000 investment you know, for some of these newer groups, and then you've got the UNDP making you know, multi-million dollar investments internationally. I guess I'm just curious if you have any sort of words of wisdom or, or just thoughts on how groups like these amazing groups we just heard from earlier today who need 10 to 50 million dollars to take proven models to a whole different level. How are we going to, just any thoughts you might have on how they can or we as interested parties, how, how do we create something where capital at that level flows 
two groups like that, either dealing with the private sector, private philanthropy, or the public sector, whatever thoughts you have. Right. I think, uh, you know, everybody's first thought is, go see Bill Gates. <laughs> because, uh, but there is more and more of this uh, uh, going on where, where large capital is being accumulated and that capital really can't be put out in, uh, directly by the staff. They, they want to work through. Uh, organizations like Rediff and and uh, and uh, Vision Spring and uh, all of those, and I think uh, I think it's coming. I mean, I just smell. I was here in Silicon Valley with the very first venture capital company in the West, and we didn't have all the word a lot of the words that we use now. We didn't. Cooper we, we had a very little operation and uh, it it grew and grew and grew but I never would have guessed that it grew it would grow to be the venture capital uh, and the entrepreneurship record that has been made here in Silicon Valley and lots of other places now uh, and in fact as you heard I wrote a book about it uh, I couldn't believe it I can't believe it looking back, and, and I certainly never would have dreamt it when I was looking forward. I think this social entrepreneurship is just at that earliest stage. And people like Jordan, you know, are, are, are out there and they're trying and they're trying to sort it out. And others are going to see his record and say, I want to do that. I want to do that. And I. Uh, I think that's really coming big, and the money is being accumulated by these, a lot of that right here in Silicon Valley, and and uh, you know Facebook is not going to, uh, they're already giving their money away, and uh, that he's only 26 years old and he's a billionaire already, man, life seems easy, but uh, you know why didn't that happen to us, right? But he, uh, he's going to take a real interest in social entrepreneurship and other people. So I think we're going to get a lot of uh, new funding for those, to answer the question. That's a question that maybe another add-on to hers, if you don't mind, if I respond to that too. I, I think you're totally right, Carl, and I love the way that you defined it, about kind of there's this, this middle market in the capital marketplace. And I think there are a bunch of trends, and we at CASE are trying to work very carefully um, to, 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 to help um, uh, work with some of those trends in, in, in important ways. One trend which is very obvious is kind of the coming of age of impact investing um, over the past few years. And, um, you know, the SOCAP conference happened a few weeks ago uh, here, and this, for the first time, the New York Times said, you know, maybe this stuff is real. Um, and we're uh, growing attention to the possibility of significant amounts of capital beyond um, Calvert <laughs> um, uh, putting money into um, uh, for-profit uh, uh, social enterprises. I think the other trend, which is slower and quieter, is the nonprofit capital market. 
And that's really what you're talking about. What do you do for the nonprofit social entrepreneurs who need two to ten million or two to thirty million and are not? There, there isn't a lot of uh, a really um, cohesive market capital in that area for them. Um, we're involved with a, a, a project um, in New York called the Social Impact Exchange, which is trying to um, kind of light a fire underneath that trend and bring really important people together to think about um, different ways to coalesce capital. Aren't all social ent entrepreneurs, the bottom line is they're 501c3, they're, no? Oh, oh, you mean there can be a for-profit that's environmentally interested not, and the return is not? Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Okay, I understand. Um, so I think, the, I think the, the, the success of social entrepreneurship, you know, and, and whether you look at it as a 10-year thing or a 20-year thing, and, you know, we're, we're still at the beginning phase. I completely agree with you when you think about, you know, where, where venture capital came and what people knew at the time. Um, it's reaching the tipping point just enough so that now we're realizing the capital markets are really, really woefully underfunded <laughs> to, to, to continue this work. Um, so I think the... But you know, I do have an opinion on that uh, as far as a for-profit social entrepreneur. It's very hard to, um, you know, most big operations want to uh, get a return for their, for their um, uh, stockholders and and if that return uh, stockholders are happy to invest because it's environmentally appropriate and they're doing that kinds of investment uh, that lasts for a while but the but the real the real big impact is when they are figuring out how to get the highest return and then transfer some of that to to a uh, green act uh, uh, activity that they might be doing separately. It's pretty important to sort of separate the two or you get sloppy and the returns don't get important and, and that's not good management and you end up uh, with a rather, you don't, you don't maximize your opportunity. To get it really right, you got to buy my book. But, but uh, first impression as a venture capitalist, when that entrepreneur, potential entrepreneur, and his team come in or her team comes in, <clears throat> I look for confidence. Uh, sort of a a um, confidence that they have really, they really understand where they're going and what they're planning to do. And they've got, they've, you ask a few questions and they know, they, they've been there before, they know the answers, they're not struggling. Um, I look for 
you know, where were you born, brought up, where'd you go to school? I kind of open it up and uh, ask them, and this goes for our social entrepreneurs in Draper Richards Foundation, it's the same thing. When, after they've gotten through Jenny and Anne Marie and Christie's screen, they, they kind of get to me, and I want to make sure that they're confident, that they've got a solid vision, that it, that it kind of adds up to me, and I'm just new on the block. They've been, had a chance to study this, look at it, look into it, visit. Uh, so they better be uh, right on, on that. And then I think there, um, there are some other characteristics that I look for. Sensitivity to the rest of the team that they've got, understanding, you know, um, complementarity in the team, um, a, a strong um, sense of what they're doing, passion, I'd call it, uh, a, a, an ability to um, sense the situation. If they're just talking for five minutes and don't stop, you know, there's something wrong there. Uh, and and uh, did they find out anything about me or us or, or what? Uh, so sensitivity and uh, a, a clear, just a clear vision of where they're going and then what they are planning to do about solving various problems that might come up. Uh, the other thing I look, I look at is their resume. Very, if they've been working for a year and a half at about six different operations, and then they're going to do this, I'm very doubtful because they have not found their sweet spot. And uh, that's not good. They've, they've been jumping around. Um, we have, uh, although, I mean, we have backed people straight out of college. And um, so there you're taking a good bit on faith. But, but did they go to a good college or did they? Or not so good college, but Phi Beta Kappa. You know, that's something that gives you confidence that they got the brain power, and you look for the energy. You can tell walking down the street. I used to do this when I, I walked to the UN from uh, our apartment on Park Avenue, and uh, and I would say to myself, I just played a little game with myself. I'd see people passing, and I would say, I'd hire her, and, and I would never hire him. And some of it is the speed at which they walk. <laughs> and, you know, it's really true. Somebody is sort of ambling along, they may be dreaming, but uh, there, there are certain little techniques that, that uh, you have over the years, and who, who seems to be winners and who are not winning as much. <laughs> I guess we've got another one more question, maybe. Well, what, what, uh, I think, well, why don't we wrap it up? Wrap it up. We'll need to, we will need to, to make a transition downstairs uh, for the next session. Bill, I want to thank you very okay. much for sharing your words of wisdom. Paul Bloom thank you, Greg. Gift for you. Copy of oh, it's your book. It's our book. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Produced by Duke University. Online at duke.edu.